Welcome in football fans, Texas football fans in particular, and everybody at Dave Campbell's Texas Football and the Horn. Welcome to episode two of the Eyes on Texas multicast as we crank this thing up, a product of the Republic of Football on Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast, and we're recording live here in the Austin Radio Network headquarters in the capital city overlooking downtown Austin and the 40 acres as it is. Welcome to episode two. We're going to have some great content, depth of knowledge, and the insights in this podcast and multicast will be unmatched in Longhorn Nation. It'll be a uh, staple for those who understand that the winning tradition and pride of the University of Texas will not be entrusted to the weak or the timid, nor will our, nor will our straight talk and honest conversations about the Texas football program and today the basketball program as well. And we're excited to be here with you uh, across the platforms that we have, which we'll tell you about here coming up. But first, with the meters to my co-host, he is Mike Craven, a lifelong Austinite, raised inside the Texas football locker room with his grandpa, Dr. Craven, which we've learned. Currently works as a senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football, formerly at the Austin American Statesman and Rivals. And I am Aaron Hogan, 33 years here in Austin, 24, with a fixture on Morning Drive Radio in the ATX, currently the co-host of the B&E Show. On the Longhorn flagship station, the Horn, uh, and the HornFM.com, right here in this building, and we're excited to uh, to launch episode two. And uh, Michael, the the uh, first episode got some great response at Dave Campbell's and on our YouTube channel at the Horn, and uh, a lot of Texas fr- spring football conversation. And that's what this is going to be through the spring, into the summer, and then into the what promises to be a really exciting 2023 football season. Yeah, we made it to week two. Nobody got <laughs> fired. I still got my job, so that's pretty good. We got the Aggie podcast going, the Baylor podcast going, the other ones start this week. So uh, everything running well on the Republic of Football, covering about half the state. Hope we get the uh, the rest of them on board by the time football season starts. Yeah, well, and then a lot of views, so we thank everybody. Hopefully you can share it and spread it around. And uh, as we know, if you're looking for us, uh, we now have, as we call it, a multicast because we're on Spotify, we're on Apple iTunes, we're on YouTube, where you can watch the uh uh, the recording and the video of it. And, of course, YouTube is at Dave Campbell's TF. Uh, that's Dave Campbell's TF. Also on Instagram, you can find all of our updates and everything when we add extended content and others and updates of what's going on, including happy birthday to Mike Craven this week. Uh, <laughs> Eyes they, on Texas. It gets less happy the older I get. <laughs> Eyes on Texas pod there at Instagram. Also on the Twitter machine, that's at Eyes on Texas FB. So make sure you're following us. Uh, have us a follow. Send it out to your buddies. Retweet some stuff, and that's going to be great content for Texas football. And today, Mike, uh, Texas basketball, because our show, our pod, is going to the EOT podcast and multicast is going to be broken into four quarters for the for the football season and uh, you know, kind of follow the football lines. Good conversations over four big topics each and every week and a halftime intermission. We're trying to hire some cheerleaders because we need a palm squad in here or something at, at halftime. We did bring some pizza in this time, which is good. But, uh, uh, you know, for this one, I really feel like, uh, and I know you are in agreement, that uh, we need to talk about this uh, Texas basketball team. So we'll devote our first quarter to my guy Rodney Terry, fellow St. Edwards alum, uh, and the Texas men's basketball team who fought through an incredibly tumultuous season, uh, closed like a freight train. They won four straight to finish the season, including a pair of double-digit beatdowns of the Big 12 regular season champions, Kansas, the second of which gave the Longhorns their second Big 12 tournament championship uh, in three seasons. And, uh, gosh, 26-8 and on the year, slotted as the number two seed in the Midwest region. They'll begin play in the NCAA tournament Thursday uh, against the 15th seed Colgate. Uh, and their side of the bracket, interestingly enough, in the Midwest, they are the two seed. They're going to play the 15. The other matchup in Des Moines, Iowa, has, uh, oh my gosh, seventh seeded Texas A&M, which I, th- I thought they got underseeded in this tournament. But there they are. They're going to play the 10 seed Penn State. Obviously, you can do the, the one plus one math there. If Texas and A&M both win, they'll be playing in round two on Saturday in Des Moines, 
What more could a basketball fan ask, ask for? We'll preview that game coming up. But, Mike, give me your thoughts on this basketball team uh, this year and what they've battled through. Uh, very veteran team, third oldest team in college basketball, which mm-hmm. has come in handy. But, man, Rodney Terry and that staff have done a great job. Yeah, I, I think it's overly impressive when you think of what they went through in the middle of the year. To have your coach leave and the way that he left and have an assistant come in shows the maturity of this team. I don't think it would have stayed together had it not been so old. You talked about the third oldest team in, in the league. And my whole life, you know, you hear that in March you win by experienced guard play and, and have some posts that can rebound and score. It feels like Texas has all of those things. You start watching these shows of the national uh, pundits and everything, and, and Texas is getting picked to be in the Final Four more often than not. I don't know if that makes you nervous or not if you're Rodney Terry, uh, but what they've been able to do is outstanding. I, I think the Moody Center also helped a lot. As somebody who grew up going to the Irwin Center, sitting there watching those games in the drum, the energy and atmosphere is just so different across the street at Moody. I think this has really helped that team as well. Don't disagree. And, you know, they only lost one game all year. And it was early in January. Gave up 116 points to Kansas State in that game. And uh, they they had some come-to-Jesus conversations <laughs> after that. Because yeah. uh, you kind of felt like there that, you know, man, was the Chris Beard situation starting to wear on this team? The uncertainty of it. I mean, they had already made the decision. But, you know, there was uh, questions going on. A lot of these players were recruited by Chris Beard, came to play for Chris Beard. And uh, it's just such a, an odd situation. Uh, but I'll say this, you know, when, when Chris Beard was suspended in December, on December the 12th or 13th, they had a game that night, which was crazy. It was a, an early-in-the-week game, and they went out and won that basketball game. It wasn't pretty, but they found a way to win it. And, uh, you know, Chris Beard stayed away from the program. He was suspended and then terminated, and that allowed Rodney Terry to ingrain himself. And this staff has 45 years of head coaching experience yeah. on it. Uh, when you're talking Bob Donawal Jr. and Chris Ogden and Rodney Terry. So uh, the experienced staff on top of the experienced uh, uh, team that uh, has all what six seniors and uh, a couple super seniors in there really stayed the course and did the University of Texas proud. Now the opportunity, as you said, to do some great things here in March. It is interesting, only the second time in the history of the program that they finished the, in the AP Top 25, the final one, in the Top 5. And mm-hmm. the last time they did was 0203. T.J. Ford-led team, yeah. Rick Barnes the coach, and they made it to the Final Four that year. Ran into a guy named Carmelo Anthony in the Syracuse Orange and lost in the semifinal. Uh, but this is a team, as you said, I've, t- I've seen Jay Billis picking them to be in the Final Four. Dick Vitale, Seth Greenberg, Seth Davis. A lot of people like this team, and there's a lot of reason for that, Mike, because you mentioned some of the keys, right? Guard play, experienced guard play. Uh, the Texas Longhorns, this team has three guards who started and won NCAA tournament games last year on different programs, right? Uh, Marcus Carr was here, and they won the round of 64 game, uh, got the victory there, and moved into the round of 32 where they lost to Purdue. Uh, Serge Jabari Rice was the starting point guard at New Mexico State. They won a tournament game, and uh, Tyrese Hunter was the starting point guard at Iowa State. They won their first-round game at Iowa State, and so all three guys have experience in this tournament. They understand the magnitude of it. So you have three guys who can, who can handle the ball, three guys who can create, and I really liked in Kansas City this past weekend uh, it was kind of a, a happenstance that Timmy Allen was dealing with an ankle injury. He gets taken off the floor, can't play in the game. And they went to the three guards starting lineup and uh, really spread the floor. I really liked what you saw there. It also put Dylan DeSue in a situation where he had a lot of space in the post, mm-hmm. playing next to the freshman, Dylan Mitchell. And those two played really well together. And then there were times that go to the TCU game, game two that they played in Kansas City. 
uh, something they haven't done a lot. They had Christian Bishop and Dylan DeSue on the field on the court at the same time, and they were they tore up Texas uh, TCU in that game. Uh, I think they combined for 30 points and 15 rebounds. So with a, with an eight or nine man rotation, all the depth and guard play. Timmy Allen will come back, and you wonder if he becomes the sixth man or how they run that. Uh, there's there's a lot of mixing and matching Rodney Car- Terry can do depending on who the matchup is in these two game tournaments they have to play in and those are champagne problems that texas really has never had you know they, they always had you know the kevin durant's or the top end talent but since those tj4 teams they haven't had depth like that where you can go one through eight and get a lot of points you know even a guy like morris off the bench can come light it up when he when he's really good and then i think you mentioned it like after that kansas state game where they gave up all of those points like the defense has played really well you know in three games in the big 12 tournament gave up 54.3 points only 26.3 from the from the three. And I, I think that goes to that three-guard lineup where they can play perimeter defense. That's going to be big. I think Colgate's one of the top three-point shooting the teams one. In, in the country. And so uh, I just it feels like, and it's always bad when you start talking in these ways, but what's the weakness for the Texas basketball team? Like, where are they going to get got? And with Houston not being completely healthy, it does feel like the Midwest bracket is wide open. Yeah, they've had some nights where they you know, got pounded on the glass at TCU late in the season where they got out-rebounded badly. Uh, there, there's just been games where they haven't bringing that A game, and that's that's the Big Twelve. It's a yep. gauntlet, right? You you bring a C level game, you're going to get beat. Even a B minus game probably gets you beaten. You know that's that, I think that's kind of par for the course when there are no nights off in the Big Twelve. Uh, but here you are. This is lights are the brightest, and I think you're right. There aren't a lot of weaknesses to this basketball team. I think they found a few new things and wrinkles they can use in Kansas yeah. City, and that can happen when a guy goes out. Like sometimes yeah. it's a blessing in disguise. You, you find a new lineup that you just didn't have time to toy with. You find a guy who steps up in that role. I think they're playing their best basketball all season right now, and that's a great sign. Well, and think about why. I think there's a, a real reason. Uh, when Timmy Allen's on the floor, the starting lineup this year mostly has been, you know, the two guards, Tyrese Hunter and Marcus Carr, and then down low, it's been Dylan DeSue, Dylan Mitchell, the freshman, and Timmy Allen. Well, Timmy Allen and, and Dylan Mitchell are not three-point threats, and they pretty much live in the lane. Dylan DeSue can shoot the three, but he also lives in the lane. So you got three guys, yeah. and they have defenders on them in a man-to-man situation. That clogs the lane. There's just not a lot of space, so the guards can't penetrate. When they went to the three-guard lineup, and you've got Dylan Mitchell and then Dylan DeSue who can stretch it out, run the pick and roll, yeah. lane was wide open. It was like, uh, as I called it on the morning show with Bucky, uh, holiday traffic on 35. It's always congested, but... You get to a Labor Day, all of a sudden you're flying down 35. Uh, it was open, and you saw guys attacking to the glass. Uh, Marcus Carr found his, his his attack mode in that Kansas game, and they blew out Kansas by 20 points. Yeah, Really schooled a number one overall seed, and they beat Kansas by double digits back-to-back Saturdays. So really impressive. Uh, they're still behind them in the AP Top 25, however, when the, the final one comes out. But at that point, it doesn't matter. they got to go win games. And uh, like where this team is, three good, really experienced guards. You mentioned Arterio Morris, the freshman, playing his bas- basketball right now. Brock Cunningham's the ultimate glue guy. Uh, just a lot of pieces to like. And you can see why a lot of the national pundits are picking Texas to make a run to the Final Four. Uh, and it's going to be fun. And the matchup you mentioned, Colgate, really a weird team. They... They here's what's really uh, interesting about this. I, I, you look at it immediately. I, you know, there's there's 16 teams in your bracket uh, to get to the final four, but you just focus on your four that you could play or the three you could play. You got to beat Colgate, then you're going to meet the winner of Texas A&M and Penn State. Well, here's what's interesting. These are four of the hottest teams in the tournament. Yeah, we just talked about Texas's trip in here with four straight wins. Colgate was six and seven at Christmas. 
They have won 20 of 21 games. They won the Patriot League regular season and tournament. They're 20-1 and one in their last 21 games. We know that uh, since since we've turned to the new year, uh, Texas A&M has been really good. They're 19-4 and four in their last 23 games for Buzz Williams. They finished second in the regular season SEC and in the tournament, played to the tournament championship game, lost to Alabama. They're the number one overall seed, and that's why I say they were underseeded. I don't understand how they... The final preseason, postseason AP top twenty-five has A and M at eighteen, yet they're a seven seed. That would indicate they're somewhere down around. <laughs> you know why? Twenty-seven. It you know why? Oh, I happened. know. CBS said, "Hey, let's get a TV game." Yeah. Well, and Buzz came after the whole selection process right. last year when they got left out, and so I think you combine those two things. We're we're all humans, and we get criticized in the public sphere, and we don't like that. And this was probably a little bit of a, a sit-down situation, but also this is a TV product. This is an entertainment thing. Like all sports are that way now, right? We are all run by TV, uh, and when you can get Texas versus Texas A and M in the second round at a Saturday night marquee game like that, um, you're gonna you're gonna sign up for it. Texas A and M is a dogfight, though. Penn oh, State, man. Penn State's a legit basketball well, team. I think both of them can say they're underseeded. Yeah, well, and then let's finish off the hot teams because Penn State will play the Aggies that after. By the way, your game times on Thursday six twenty five for Texas, and then the late game eight fifty five for Penn State and A uh, and M there in Des Moines, Iowa. Penn State's won eight of their last ten. They made it to the Big Twelve tournament or Big Ten tournament final where they lost to Purdue in a really close game. Of course, Purdue's a one seed as well. So four really hot teams coming in, so they're all going to be very confident. Colgate is the matchup for the Longhorns. They're an interesting team. They've dominated the Patriot League the last four years. Their coach is the best coach in the Patriot League. Uh, They've got the Patriot League Player of the Year. He's also the Defensive Player of the Year uh, on this team. They shoot threes at the highest rate of any team in the country at over 40%. Their field goal percentage is like top three. Yet their free throw percentage is like 307. I don't, I don't know if I get that. They shoot threes. They shoot from the floor great. But one of their Achilles heels, big ones, is free throws. Too close. Too close. Too no. close. They don't hit free throws. Where and you know, and if you're shooting that many threes, you're not getting to the lane. You're not getting fouled as much. It's probably just not as big of a part of their game. Yeah. No. But there's a lot to like about uh, uh, this Texas matchup. You got to defend the perimeter. Defend those three point shots. You can't let this thing, this team chunk them up because they will, and they'll make them. <laughs> they'll make four no. of every ten uh, for three points. You do the analytics on that. They can they can get get hot and get going. Then of course when you spread, they spread you out a little bit. They can they have the big six ten guy down in the lane that can hit the back cuts and uh, make things tough. But Texas does have the the people to handle it, right? The, yep. the nine deep rotation right now. Uh, the bigs and Christian Bishop and Dylan DeSue are playing their best. And to wrap up the first quarter, let's mention Dylan DeSue. Yes. Because, gosh, uh, you know, what what kind of odds in Vegas could you have gotten that Dylan DeSue was going to be the <laughs> most outstanding player of the Big 12 tournament? Yeah. Uh, he was unbelievably good in the clincher against Kansas in 21 minutes on the floor, folks. 18 points in 21 minutes. Steals dunks, block shots. He was playing. He's a kid from Pflugerville right here in Austin, Texas, who transferred from Vanderbilt. What a what a finish he's had. And at the end of the regular season in that game against Kansas, you could tar- you could kind of see like, oh, you know, without everybody at full strength, he's going to have a bigger role and he seemed to, to seem to thrive in. And he averaged 15 and 8 in 3 games in the Big 12 Championship. Just another added dimension that you kind of find when you when you least expect it, right? And you're going to the tournament uh, with four or five guys that you count on uh, to score. I just hope that we get this game. I just hope the Texas-Texas A&M game happens. Uh, if you're a Texas fan, are you secretly – or do you root for it? Or in the back of your mind, you're like, I, I hope Penn State wins and we don't even have to deal with that level of, of expectation. We're trying to get to the Sweet 16. Because well, the whole Rodney Terry conversation, everything, you know, everything, it feels like there's so much still up in the air for this Texas team. Like, they're the two seed, but so much could happen in this offseason depending on how yeah. these next two games go. Uh, I think you're rooting – 
for Penn State, to be honest with you. I do, too. Uh, Buzz Williams' team's really good. They play great defense. They're more battle-tested in the SEC. They've beaten teams like Alabama. Right. Um, and know, they'd be the underdog. They have nothing to lose. Yeah. Like You don't want that. You don't want that situation. And, of course, they currently own scoreboard because they ended the Longhorn baseball season in right. Omaha mm-hmm. last spring uh, in the College World Series. So you don't want two double bragging rights. It's That's the ultimate to end the season. So I got a question for you. Hitting How many Michael. games does does Texas need to win for Rodney Terry to be the head coach next year? I don't know that answer. I I, I mean, it is it is the elephant in the room, uh, without a doubt. I mentioned earlier that Rodney went to St. Edwards. I went to St. Edwards, graduated, and when I was getting there, he was finishing up a you know a hang his jersey in the rafters mm-hmm. career at St. Ed's here on the hilltop in South Austin, and uh, I've known him a long time. I root for him. I just don't know what the decision's going to be. You make this decision because you can't talk about this team without talking about Chris Beard, right? right. Chris Beard's now been introduced as the new head coach at Ole Miss, and there are debates whether that was you know, too soon, only two months after being let go here. But let's be fair. He built this staff. He built this team. It was his vision uh, that has led to where they are in a lot of ways as far as the talent, depth, and um, that's he came in here wanting to be a Monday night program, cutting down the nets on a Monday night, uh, and that he raised the bar. And, you know, I, I, Rodney Terry's a part of that, but he came here to be the, the top assistant coach. So, I mean, you're, it's a, if they make the Final Four, I don't know how you can't right. keep them on, uh, even if they make to the Sweet 16 in the second weekend. But I don't know if there's a number. And, and Chris Del Conte has a tough decision to make because you have to make a decision for the short term uh, and reward Rodney Terry, but you have to make a 10-year decision. You're moving to the SEC. Uh, you have to explore all options if – Former Villanova coach Jay Wright would be interested. You have to ask him. That's true. If uh, you know Billy Donovan's a name you've heard, right? That he's with the Chicago Bulls now, with a winning team in Chicago. Of course, NBA now at two stops, but before that was a double national championship winning coach at Florida. He's still in his mid fifties. So I think you have to do your due diligence. But at the same time, Rodney Terry has done an incredible job. But it's with this team. Uh, is that? You know, would Rodney Terry have been considered for this job a few years ago? But he's done an amazing job. It's the elephant in the conversation, elephant in the room. Uh, but you know what? You just hope he makes it impossible to not bring him back. That would be your goal as a Longhorn fan. And say, you know what? Get to the Final Four, make a run with this group, and you know, let Rodney take it from there. For me, it's the Sweet 16. You know, they haven't gotten there since 2008. Yep. You know, if you do something that hadn't years. happened in 15 years, you deserve at least one more year. I think you can make the contract where you can get out of it. It's Texas, right? You can afford the buyout if you make a short-term contract. And he's got two five-star kids coming in next year that seem to want to play with him, want to play for him. And so uh, I think you just keep it rolling. You keep the continuity going, and you know it's a player-led team, and you have Rodney Terry there that's trusted in that locker room that, in theory, has won a couple play- or tournament games that got you to the Sweet 16. So I think if he makes it to the second weekend, it's really hard to fire him Agreed. because you're going to have a mutiny in that locker room. I don't disagree. I mean, a lot of those guys are moving on, but you're right. Ron Holland, a five-star kid from the Metroplex, and A.J. Johnson, a uh, six-five point guard yeah. from the West Coast, Los Angeles. You keep the recruiting class together uh, and you make a run to the Sweet 16, it's going to be hard to argue. Uh, and look, the last thing I would say on that is I don't know if you hire a top-end coach if Rodney Terry wouldn't stay and, and be the top assistant. That's what he came here for. He left a head coaching job at, at Texas El Paso to come here and be Rick Beard, Rick uh, Chris Beard's top assistant, and that's where he wanted to be. I know he's got a house in South Austin, right down there by St. Edwards, and uh, he may stay. But that becomes very awkward. I, right. That's why I say it's a tough decision yep. for the powers of Texas, or maybe it's not. Maybe you just ride this wave, let Rodney keep this staff together, uh, because there, as we said, there's 45 years of head coaching experience on this staff. Uh, might be smart just to stick with it. I would hope if Texas fans have learned anything by now, it's that splash hires don't actually make waves sometimes. you know. And and sometimes you just make the easy, smart decision, and that's fine. It's right in front of your face. It's like your nose. It's right there, my friends. It's right there. 
All right. Well, that's going to be quarter number one. It's probably an extended quarter, but that's good. It was a good basketball conversation. Again, Texas here on the Eyes on Texas pod, normally a football cast, but when the Longhorns have a chance to make a run and they're a number two overall national seed, it has to become a focus, especially on a week when the Longhorns football team is taking the week off for spring break. Uh, but we will recap fully what went on last week uh, in our second quarter here coming up. All right, quarter number two, episode number two of the Eyes on Texas pod. It is uh, Aaron Hogan and Mike Craven uh, talking Texas basketball, but time to shift gears to Texas football. Of course, our product and our podcast, multicast as we call it, a product of the Republic of Football on Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast. The network is big time and growing. Uh, and you can also find us on YouTube at Dave Campbell's TF, also on the Horn, hornfm.com, YouTube page for the flagship of the University of Texas here in Austin. Find it there. It's uh, easy to find at our, at our uh, YouTube page. And, of course, Dave Campbell's Texas football. And uh, we switch gears to some football. And, Mike, you made your way out to a couple practices last week. Longhorns had three, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Also hosted their pro timing day on Thursday afternoon, part of a busy first week that um, – you know, now they get the week off. They're going to go spring break. Uh, wonder how many kids are going to run to the beach. What do you think? You've been around Texas football <laughs> growing up. I mean, you know you're coming back for three more weeks of, of spring and some rigorous practices. But still, you've been working out. It's been winter workouts right into the spring. You get to go out, blow off some steam, get down to the beach potentially, wherever you can go. Do it smart, but I'm sure a lot of, a lot of young, young guys are going to take advantage. I've always found the way coaches structure spring practice to be interesting because a lot of coaches started a week or two before spring practice to kind of lay the foundation of spring break. You know, I've, I talked to Jeff Trailer at UTSA about this before, and he likes to do a week or two before spring break. That way, when you go to spring break, it's not your last hurrah, where it's like, man, football practice starts when we get back. We got to party. We got to do this. We got to do that. You're already in football practice. You're sore. You got bumps and bruises. You may stay stay around uh, to get some, you know, healing and some rehab and stuff like that. And so, uh, I think it was smart for Sark to kind of get at least a week out of the way early, just kind of get that that foundation laid. Then you get a break for spring break. You come back full time. Well, we got to hear from Sark a couple of times after practice one on Monday of last week and after practice uh, number three on Friday. And obviously the first big topic came up after practice Monday uh, because Quinn Ewers was the starting quarterback and took in the first team reps, but no Malik Murphy because of a foot injury that we talked about last week. Uh, he's still dealing with from back in high school. And then Arch Manning, we're in number 16, his Uncle Peyton's number from Tennessee back in the day. Uh, and also I believe his uh, grandpa... Grandpa Arch, Archie's so. number. Back he's, at tall, he's taller than I thought he was going to be. So what were your initial thoughts about seeing Arch uh, the, as the ball comes out of his hand? I know it's uh, <laughs> everyone's got to talk about it. <laughs> it was funny because like uh, we're allowed a short window of media availability, and as soon as we walked in on Monday, Sark cussed out Manning. You know, like <laughs> like you know, and then like uh, Anthony Hill Let got hit, Anthony Hill got his as well from Jeff Banks. You know, and it, it, I think it's just a, a message being sent, right? Like we're not going to play favorites, y'all are five star guys, but there's that whole D recruiting type situation going on. Uh, but he looks the part, right? I mean, he's a five-star for a reason. You know, I, I know a lot of people think it's just because of his, because of his last name. Uh, but he's 6'5". He can throw it anywhere. When he was right next to Ewers throwing the ball, you, you know, there wasn't a noticeable difference between the two, right? He's got a live arm. Uh, he's going to be a really good football player. And I, I think the, the idea of, like, both of his uncles and his grandfather can kind of show him what's going to happen here. Like, they, they've been practicing this since I would imagine he's a baby. He's, he he's as ready as you can be as a true freshman. I think that's going to be good for Quinn. Like, I really do think that's going to be well, good for and, Quinn Ewers. And I think we talked about it last week on episode one, but you see it in all sports. I mean, uh, baseball players who grow up in the dugout with their dad, that all right. of a sudden they get there. They're not in awe of it. Yeah. They're not, you know, scared of it. They're, they just know it. It's just what they've lived their whole life. Uh, and Arch Manning's been a part of that, going to, to see games and – 
been taught the right way from a very young age. And he goes about his business the way you need to, right? He's a, he's, a, he's a football rat, football gym rat, loves the game, loves the process, and he's really talented. So here's Steve Sarkeesian, his first comments after the first practice about the quarterback competition at the University of Texas here in the spring. Is quarterback an open competition or is it quenched? They all are open right now. I mean, I, I'm not worried about, you know, if, you know who's going to be on the cover of what magazine next week. You know, I'm more focused on – or is each guy focusing on what they need to do to develop to be the best player that they can be? Um, it's like anything. Quinn has an entire year of a head start, you know. But but I don't want to hold Arch back. I want to see how far he can take this thing and what it can look like. So uh, what do you say to that, Mike Craven? No, it doesn't matter who's going to be on the cover of magazines. Like this one and your <laughs> yeah. little. Yeah, I was on that side of the room. I was right behind Bowles when he said that. So I don't know if that was a Dave Campbell's thing. I I can break some news here. Neither one of those quarterbacks were going to be on our magazine <laughs> this summer. Do you but know the cover already. I do, I do, I do. But that's a that's, that's like a top me. level secret. <laughs> I, I that is something I would get fired for if I if I revealed that uh, this early. But um, I think he's right. Like everything, if you're going to have a team, we talked about last week. Your word for this team this spring was competitiveness. And if you're going to have a spring camp that is about competing, that that is, hey, none of these jobs are open from Kelvin Banks to the defensive tackles. Everybody's playing for their job. There's a lot of talent here. Everybody's got to go earn it. You can't then go, well, then Quinn's the starting quarterback automatically because he played 10 games last year. He didn't He didn't go to the Heisman final. He, he wasn't undefeated as a quarterback. He's got room to grow. So I think if you're Sark, the message you want to send is, yeah, all these all these jobs are open. All of these things are a competition. And if Arch comes out and he's far and away better, it's my job to put him on the field. But at the same token, he talked about having the one-year head start and how much that helps Quinn. He's been in college programs now for two years. I know he didn't play at Ohio State, but just being around there had to help. Uh, so I think he's leaps and bounds ahead. He knows the offense, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think it's the right message if you're Sark. Don't disagree. And I don't really know that there's a competition. Let me just say this to the Texas fans. I mean, you don't – We've been doing this long enough, uh, you know, 24 years of morning radio here in Austin. You've been doing this and around. You don't want a freshman quarterback if you want to go win the Big 12. I mean, right. I don't care how good Arch is. Freshmen are freshmen. Uh, and I think we saw that a lot from Quinn Ewers last year. Uh, if you can, and I love your point about the year at Ohio State, which is kind of more of an internship than playing quarterback. He was just in the room, but he got to be a part of a high-level program that has a high bar and how they do things behind C.J. Stroud and, that Buckeye quarterback room with Ryan Day, so immersed in that, and then you know thrown onto the field last year, earned the earned the spot from Hudson Card, and then missed five games because he got hurt, which was unfortunate. Uh, but he was a young quarterback who, at times, I think sometimes his confusion when the game speeds up for him, it kind of looks he looks lackadaisical, maybe like some yeah. guys look panicked. He almost looks too calm, and he just looks nonchalant sometimes. But I, I do think that's it. And I can go back to the bowl game in the Alamo Bowl where the offense was kind of built around him and his throwing. And I thought he missed some throws early that uh, that hurt, but I thought he really played well in that game. He didn't lose to Colorado because of, of Quinn Ewers, and he gave them a chance to win that game. Yeah, I mean, for me, Quinn's got all the talent in the world. Like He can throw every single football. He can throw the route tree. and do all that kind of stuff. For me, it's between his ears, yeah. right? Like, if he can figure out how to progress through an offense, how to get from you know his first read to his third read— I would love to go back. I mean, somebody like Rod Babers probably tell us a little bit more. How many times he got to a third, fourth read? Does he have a third or fourth read, right? Like, how does that work when in the offense? Because he hasn't played real football since he was a junior in high school until last year, right? So, like, how how uh, sophisticated is he offensively? I think that's where Arch probably excels, you know, again, going back to the, to the family dynamic there and how much he's been around uh, uh, football. 
but I, I think Quinn's going to be fine. And I don't think the Mannings wanted Arch to go somewhere and start as a true freshman because if they did, they would have sent him somewhere other than Texas where they had another five-star guy with some experience. And so I think everybody believes the best route here, if if everything's ideal, everybody stays healthy, and Ewers takes the steps we think he's going to do, is that Ewers plays this year, goes off to the NFL, then Arch takes over as Texas transitions into the SEC. Well, and as we talked about last episode, and we'll talk about all spring, the weaponry around the, the yes, Bijan. It's hard to say they have more weapons without Bijan Robinson and, and Roshan Johnson, but, but literally they do, especially to throw to. Uh, and gosh, if I'm Sark and maybe they're doing this, I'm going back and showing him tape of Mac Jones uh, in the national title year at Alabama because yeah. that offense, he was so great at waiting for the right progression, as you just talked about. And Sark would, would, would say, you know, the offense will tell you where to go with the ball. The defense is going to show you where the open man is going to be. We're running plays that are designed to have somebody open on every play. And it really was. I mean, it really, Mac Jones, uh, once he got comfortable with it, uh, you, and, and yes, they had Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle before he got hurt and, um, you know, just unbelievable receivers across the board. But the offense, Najee Davenport in the backfield and tight ends, but the offense told you where to go with it. And I do think a lot of times last year we saw Quinn trying to force, at least go to that first first option every time instead of, all right, first option's not there, and he's got a broken hand. Uh, maybe look at JT Sanders. Maybe look at B, over here at uh, Jordan Whittington. And, and the offense will be there. That's the next step for him, trusting the progressions and getting some protection up front so he can go through two, three progressions on every drop back. He seemed like a guy who was choosing where to go with the football before the snap too often. Yeah. And he's going to have to learn to get comfortable enough to figure that out as it goes. And that's the hardest thing to do in football, right? That's why quarterback's such a hard position, and that's why not every five-star ends up making $30 million you know, a year. And that's why some guys like Patrick Mahomes, who weren't as highly rated, become superstars. It's not just arm talent. All of those guys have arm talent. But what do you do once you read the defense, once the snap happens, once the play starts, once those option routes start flying? Uh, that's where he needs to make an improvement. I would imagine a year of playing in Sark's offense is only going to help that. He can only be better at that. Uh, Sark talked about him cutting the mullet and looking like he <laughs> is taking things a little bit more seriously. And that's why I think having Arch in the room only helps Quinn Ewers because you have to let raise your level of play, not only on the field but in the film room and everywhere else, or that guy's going to come take your job. Yeah, he's doing it the right way. But let's hope Quinn take that st- takes that step forward uh, for the Longhorns. And I always have said – to me, playing the quarterback position, especially when you get to the NFL, like what's separate when they're about to have the NFL draft and who are the top quarterbacks, uh, they miss so often. But you're almost like a fighter pilot. I mean, top Gun just had the big the big year. You're you're in a jet and things are happening really fast, and you don't have a lot of time to react. It's just some guys have it. Mm-hmm. Some guys have that instinctual ability, which is why at the next level I really like Bryce Young playing quarterback because he just looks like I want that guy in my airplane because he. He just makes the right read. He never gets panicked. He'll take off and run when it's time. Uh, then there's guys like Anthony Richardson that can jump out of the gym, but, boy, you watch him play quarterback, and you're like, oh, golly. Right. He's this confused. Guy's, this guy's kind of scared. Right. Uh, yeah, but it's, so it's a fighter pilot thing, and, and only the top guns become top gun, uh, and it's hard, and that's the next step, and you're not sure if Quinn yours is, is that can get there. You you think with experience he can, um, but and that's going to be the goal for Sark here this spring and into the summer and into the fall. And it's hard to, you know, he's a Roy's Royce, right? He's a five-star guy. He was like a perfect-rated recruit coming out of high school by 24-7 and the ilk of that nature. But then you got to go to him and convince him, like, look at all these weapons around you. You don't have to be 
a superstar. You don't have to go point make guard. these insane. Right. You just got to be the point guard. Um, and and so I think for Quinn, it's just it's an ego thing, you know, that we all have. I'm not saying he's egotistical. You don't get to that level without having some pride, without having some ego, without having some confidence in your ability. But you don't always have to make the toughest throw. You don't always have to make the the best throw. Sometimes you just got to make the right throw. And I, I think that's going to be about maturity. And hopefully, going into year three on a college campus, he's ready to have that. All right, there's some quarterback chatter, which will go be ongoing. I think if you're a Texas fan, you want it to be Quinn yours. Uh, taking that job. And uh, before we wrap up quarterbacks real quick, Malik Murphy, what do we think there? Now, I mean, it can't be good that he's already missing some time and Arch Manning, everything we just said about him, he's not going to give up reps. I mean, those are reps that Malik Murphy could use right now. I just find it hard to see Malik getting back into this thing as the number two quarterback. You allow Arch Manning to go through the practice, you know, go through the whole spring, getting all those practice snaps, going with the second team, getting those live reps, building that cohesion with those wide receivers and tight ends. How do you go and take that back from if you're equally as talented, right? And they don't have any more experience. Malik's been around for another for an extra year, but it's not like he's been practicing or anything like that. And so they they pretty much came into this spring at an even level level playing field, in my opinion. And I would imagine Arch starts stacking up uh, with each practice he gets to play that that Malik doesn't. All right, that is quarter number two on the Eyes on Texas multicast uh, here on the Republic of Football on Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast, also on the Horn FM here in Austin, Texas. Uh, Every week we bring it to you. Uh, That's our intermission, too, because it's time for the third quarter. Let's roll right into it. Uh, We'll hear some more from Sark here because another conversation this week in our third quarter was Xavier Worthy because if you're going to throw the ball, you got to throw it to weapons. X-Man wasn't at his best last year, and now it was revealed by Sark that he had a broken hand. Um, halfway through the season. Let's actually hear Sark talking about that because uh, he believes a lot of what went on was was the injury. Didn't have his best year, and he's dealing with a young quarterback. Uh, he thinks the best of Xavier Worthy is still to come as he heads into his junior year. And then the one guy was great to have back out there today, uh, which you guys didn't know, and I, I, did, I tried to protect this throughout the season, but Xavier had a broken hand essentially the second half of the season. And so to get him back out there, he was in a cast uh, – for about eight weeks, roughly. So to get him back out there practicing full speed, which was which was awesome. Anytime you're a receiver <laughs> and you're playing with a broken hand, I mean that's that's a pretty important aspect of your game. And uh, that guy never wanted to 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 sit out, not play. Um, he he came to work. He fought through it. There were days in practice where we purposely didn't throw him balls just to take some of the pressure off of it. Um, but uh, I think we're, we're going to see a version of Xavier Worthy that's going to be dramatically different um, now, that, now that he's healthy. All right, so there's Sark, and uh, your thoughts on that. You were there for that press conference and surprised everybody, I thought. And, you know, obviously on the morning radio show the next day, we talked about it for four hours, and everybody's got an opinion. It's, he's covering for, for X because he had the dropsies last year. Uh, he's trying to help, you know, shadow some or cover some of that. Uh, why were they throwing to him so often if he has a broken hand? If you just heard Sark say he didn't, uh, there were just practices where they didn't even throw it to him. Did that lead to some of the lack of continuity with his quarterback? What was your read on that whole situation? I mean, I kind of live in a universe where multiple things can be true, and I think a lot of the things you just said are are true. I, I feel like I'm confused, and we talked about it a little bit last week. I guess I would have mentioned it during bowl preparations, right? Like that game doesn't mean as much. You're, you, all the noise has been made about Xavier dropping passes in the year he had like a quote-unquote sophomore slump. You know, why don't you mention this in December? 
Uh, why didn't this come out like January press release or anything like that, right? It just kind of came out of nowhere. I think that's where it took people off guard and where, where the cynicism comes from uh, because it was just like a random little thing that he just dropped in there. Uh, and then Jim Vertuno kind of came back with like a follow-up from AP, you know, like, hey, why didn't you say anything? He's like, because I don't have to. And he got kind of surly about it, you know, and it, it just kind of it played weird in the room. It was kind of like a weird uh, tone about it. Um, it was kind of like a here, I told you so. Here, Here's like uh, – Here's some information y'all didn't have. Don't y'all feel silly for writing all these things and for saying all these things. Uh, but I, I think Xavier has a lot to prove as a junior. I mean, he showed up as a true freshman. was one of the best wide receivers in the nation. Uh, you know, we all kind of thought he was going to take the next step last year. And for whatever reason, whether it was the, you know, inconsistencies at quarterback based on injuries and going back forth, whether it was the hand thing, whether it was the mispractice time, whatever the, whatever the reason is, he did not take the next step as a, as a wide receiver, as a sophomore. For Texas to be as good as we think that they're going to be offensively, he needs to go back to being that true freshman that was taken five-yard outs to the house against Oklahoma, which was such a precise route runner and was a consistent pass catcher. Yeah. Uh, winning, you know, 50-50 balls and the route running, the quickness, 12 touchdowns, I think, as a, as a freshman, which is a new record for the Longhorns. He, he's got the ability. And yeah, I'm with you on, on the Sark. I don't have to tell you. The only thing I'll say is if he was going to play him, you don't want the opponent to know. I get sure. that. You'd rather they be unaware as well, just for football. <laughs> you know how that goes. But at the same time, you know, it was a weird, huge story that was minimized uh, good points on should should he done it at the bowl game and obviously in that Colorado game the the drop touchdown pass that would run away touchdown that really was the flip point of the game in the third Washington, quarter Washington was the bowl game uh, Washington I yeah. should say who did I say Colorado Colorado sorry you you're getting you're getting all the Alamo all balls. Ball, I mean too many yeah. Alamo yeah. bowls people. Yeah, <laughs> but the yeah Washington- like- after that Washington game with that big drop, right? Isn't that the time where you go? Well, Xavier's been dealing with a hand injury. You know, th- isn't that when you go into it, right? Like and it he just had a couple other drops in that. Game. Ninety days later, it just <laughs> it just kind of felt like, well, if you didn't tell us then, why are we talking about it now? You're right. That would have been the time to say, well, you guys don't know this, but right. But X-Man's yeah, hey, been he's playing been playing. With a you know, hand. he could have opted out of this thing. Like a lot of guys don't play bowl games. He's playing coming off. You, you could have saved him then, right? And yeah. to do it to do it this far away just feels like, well, why are we talking about it now? Sorry about that. Yeah, Washington was the bowl game. I was there. Nolan, you were on the sidelines yeah. for that game. That drop was right uh, in front of my face. <laughs> <laughs> our uh, digital producer, Nolan Hogan, uh, doing a great job. And, yeah, Washington, the Huskies, uh, a game that's still uh, a bitter loss for the Longhorns. But uh, uh, they were 11- or 12-win football team. But that's where the Longhorns need to improve, and that's really the goal. Uh, with this entire wide receiver score, Sark has said, uh, as we continue our third-quarter conversation about receivers in the passing game on the heels of our quarterback conversation in quarter two, it's been the number one focus of this team. Uh, it's the number one in Sark's mind. It's the one thing they've got to get right. He feels like if they get the passing game right with the addition of Isaiah Nayer back from his injury, the addition of A.D. Mitchell from Georgia, Jordan Whittington's return, J.T. Sanders, uh, young guys like John Tay Cook, who I know a lot of people were impressed with that at practice the other day. Uh, they've got options. If the passing game can come along as the offensive line gains experience and gets better, it's, in Sark's mind, I think the running game is just going to come along because in our fourth quarter, we're going to talk running backs and Deshard Choice in that room here as we go offensive heavy in episode number two of the Eyes on Texas pod. But your thoughts on this passing game? You got to see it with your own eyes. You mentioned the way the ball comes out of Quinn Ewers' hands, Arch Manning, and then guys to throw to. They've got plenty of them. Yeah, I mean, they completed 248 passes last year, and, and most of those come back. You know, Bajon Robinson at 19 catches is the guy that they're losing the most, right? They have three guys uh, back that had over 50 catches. Worthy had 60, even at, even with a broken hand, right? Like, Worthy still had 60 catches for 760 yards and nine touchdowns. Uh, Jatavion Sanders, who we talked about a lot on the first podcast, 54 catches, Winnington at 
50. And then you add those other guys. Like Nayor, before he got hurt, was supposed to be the guy. I mean, they were raving about him early on uh, in practices and in spring camp, uh, early on in, in winter conditioning when he first got on campus. So I feel like he's going to be a guy who obviously emerges. But I'm looking forward to A.D. Mitchell. Like that, he started 15 games for Georgia. He's caught touchdown passes in the last two national championship games. He's been a part of the program that Texas is trying to get to. Texas is trying to get back to being a Georgia, to being an Alabama. You don't have to teach A.D. Mitchell how to go win football games. He's been in a locker room that does that. And so you plug him in on the outside. You let him be that deep threat guy that they rely too much on Xavier Worthy to be. You let Jordan Whittington stay in his role as a slot guy. And then you move back Worthy to be the short intermediate route you know, runner that does well after the catch. I feel like you have a really explosive weapons on the outside in a way that Texas just hasn't had since the glory years. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, just a plethora of weapons and a lot of options there. And the one thing you hear behind the scenes consistently, I've talked to my friend Quan Cosby a lot, who was a great UT Longhorn, of course. Quan never lost a bowl game, won a natty, uh, played in the NFL. Uh, he studies the receiver position. And the thing he loves about A.D. Mitchell, Zaya Nayer, Xavier Worthy, it's all business. I mean, you know, there have been five-star kids that come to Texas that kind of get caught up in the whole idea of being a Longhorn. These guys are all about ball. They're all about business. They want to play on Sundays. They don't make any bones about it. Sark sells that to them on the recruiting trail. And, uh, you know, so you got an A.D. Mitchell who's coming here to play in a more pass-heavy offense as opposed to Georgia, get closer to home as well. Uh, Isaiah Nair was a, kind of got caught up in the COVID thing and ended up being only recruited by Wyoming, but then blew it up there. And then he gets hurt last year. So, you know, he's going to have a bit of a chip on his shoulder. But his offseason work is pretty legendary, how he goes about his business. And we just talked about X Worthy. I mean, that's a guy that he's going to want to show last year. Was a broken hand. Uh, it wasn't his best. And he wants to play on Sundays as well. Uh, and then there's JT Sanders, who might be the best of them all, uh, right. as far as a high-end, high-ceiling type of player at a tight end position. Uh, so a lot to like about that in the passing game. All right, that's going to wrap up quarter three on the Eyes on Texas pod. We've talked Texas basketball and the uh, potential run to the Final Four. How much fun is that going to be starting on Thursday? Talk some quarterbacks, talk some receivers. Let's switch gears in quarter number four. Uh, some final thoughts about spring practice in the first week and the running back position, which is, uh, as you said last week uh, on episode one, Mike, it was uh, your number one question. And I think it's an absolute fair one when you've got two dudes like Bijan and Roshan who are going off to the National Football League. Uh, who's going to carry the mail? Uh, Sark has always had a 1,000-yard rusher wherever he's been. Who is going to establish that role? Uh, here is Sark uh, talking about not just the running backs, but also Tashard Choice, uh, who's a big part of what's going on. Of course, Tashard came in to coach running backs, so he coached uh, Bijan uh, Robinson. Uh, he also was with Georgia Tech, where Jameer Gibbs, who transferred from Georgia Tech to Alabama and blew it up with the Crimson Tide, those might be the first two running backs drafted into the National Football League. Uh, and you got a guy like Cedric Baxter Jr., who's going to go by C.J. Baxter. Out of the state of Florida, he's already copying Bijan's haircut. You remember when? Remember when uh, Cedric Benson got here and he was such a he idolized Ricky Williams, so he had the dreadlocks. You also already have said you know, C.J. Baxter kind of looking like Bijan with the hairdo. Uh, but these, this is a talented player. You've also got uh, uh, you know re- returning players like Jaden Blue, uh, returning player Jonathan Brooks out of Hallettsville, and of course Keelan Robinson, who is just uh, the gadget guy, the speed guy, who's a threat to score on every possession or every carry he gets. Here's Sark talking about the running backs and Tashard Choice's impact on that room. I've never not had a thousand yard rusher uh, in calling plays in college football, and so the fact that. 
can we get there with one of these guys? We will find out. Um, I do think we, we've got a lot of good depth there, especially when Keelan and Jonathan are really healthy and ready to go. We got Jaden Blue. We got the influx of, of Cedric Baxter. Trey Wisner is going to be here in the fall. We moved Savion Red there. So we've got a really talented room. Um, if it feels like one guy can be the feature guy, that would be that would be great. But if if we you know use two three guys in there that that play and complement one another, I think we'll be okay with that. Coach Choice is a great coach, great mentor. Um, obviously has playing experience, has coaching experience. Um, as much as he coaches them on the field, he coaches them off the field. Um, I think he puts them in a real position to to have to to be successful in life and as a player. Um, so yeah, we lean on him. You know, I mean, I, th like I would every other position coach. You know, a lot of times players come in and there's always, especially when they're highly recruited guys like he was, there's always this expectation if they don't play their freshman year, like what's wrong. Uh, and a lot of times the development side of their game is really important to their future. Um, I'll use JT Sanders as a great example from two years ago. You know, it was always like, what's wrong with JT or how's he doing or what's going on? And then boom, here comes year two and he has a really good year. And so I've been pleased with, with Jaden. Um, not only the physical maturity, but I think the mental maturity of how to attack every day. I thought he did a really good job last year of really learning from two great guys to learn from in, in Bijan and Roshan, but also Keelan and Jonathan Brooks. And now as we're, as we're kind of monitoring Keelan and Jonathan, Jaden's getting a lot of the first team reps. Um, and he's, you can see a lot of the things that we've been working on a year ago come to life. I thought today was a physical day. There's some hard, tough runs, and, he, and he, he had some really nice runs and got through there and in traffic between the tackles. And we know what he can do on the perimeter, but to be a back in our offense, you need to be a complete player. And um, I'm pleased with, with kind of his development up to this. All right, there's a wide-ranging uh, few pieces of sound from Steve Sarkeesian on the running back room to launch our fourth quarter, and a lot there, a lot to chew on. I mean, uh, Mike, let me start with this. Your thoughts on Tashard Choice. I mean, he was a Dallas Cowboys player, young coach, dynamic. I think uh, Stan Drayton left to take the Temple job and as the head coach, and Stan had done a great job. He recruited B. John Robinson and some top backs, uh, Jaden Blue included. Uh, but Tashard seems like kind of a – a player's coach, right? He, he played the position and uh, knows the game, been in the NFL, so he can talk talk the guys through that, uh, you know, what you got to do to get there. Uh, what do you think of T, uh, Tashard? Yeah, when Stan Drayton left, it was like, uh-oh, yeah. what's going to happen in that room, right? Because he was kind of like the godfather of, of, of that coaching staff. A lot of young guys in that room. He was kind of the father figure to a lot of recruits, even to some of the coaches on that staff, right? They're kind of a mentor and uncle figure to them. Uh, but, you know, Tashard Schwartz come in and probably made that room even better. You know, like they have gotten better and better every single year. I think he helped Bajan and, and specifically Roshan kind of reach their their peak there uh, in college. Their best footballs in front of them. Um, I think he's great. Just watching that clip, right? You saw some swag. You know, you saw like the way he walks around, the confidence he has. That's something that Texas has been missing for you know over a decade now. I think having coaches who have been there, done that, who know the standard, who can stand up in front of a room of, of star recruits and go. I know, I know how to get there because I did it myself, right? Like you can follow a person 
uh, who's led by example. And so I think he's been a fantastic hire for Steve Sarkeesian. I think one of the things that maybe Sark has, doesn't get enough credit for is how good he's been on the assistant coach front. Yeah, Chris Jackson, of course, at the wide receiver position now. He's come in from the NFL, yeah. played in the NFL, coached there already. And that resonates with players. There's no doubt about it because that's where they want to be. Uh, there is no question. Uh, all right, so uh, you let's let's tap into your recruiting knowledge when you were you know doing the Fab 55 over at the Austin Statesman yeah. and uh, still at Dave Campbell's. Jaden Blue, he's kind of an enigma because he skipped his senior season to Klein Collins. Am I right yes. about that? Yep. Uh, so he was one of the top players in the state at the position as a junior and then decided, you know, I don't like my coach or whatever went on there, and he opted out. He didn't play his senior year, and then he redshirted pretty much last year. So it's been two full years since we've seen him. What do you remember from him in high school? Yeah, it's interesting. When he opted out, we all were like, well, is this going to be the new thing? You know, where these big-time recruits skip their senior year because they already have the offers, they already have the commitments. Why go hurt your knee or, or whatever the case may be? It hasn't been true. You know, there hasn't been much follow to it. Um, my thing with Jade, I think Sark touched on my concern. With Outside the tackle, I think he's going to be fine. Right, he's just kind of a slightly built dude, and he doesn't look much bigger. I think that's just his frame. He's just not a thick, powerful guy. How can he handle uh, what this offense requires you to do? And that is run between the tackles a lot. You know, Bijan's not a small dude. Rashawn's not a small dude. How can he handle that? I have the same concerns with Jonathan Brooks. Obviously, Keelan Robinson, more of a third down back, and I think that's where CJ CJ Baxter becomes such an important cog of this offense. He already looks like the most physically built out of all of them. He can probably handle that pounding a little bit more just because he's just he was god-given of a, a frame that's just bigger than those dudes right and so uh for me in order for texas to reach its peak as a running football team cj baxter is going to have to have a freshman year that we all thought Bijan robinson would have if herman had given him the opportunities sark doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to leave his best running back on the sideline if baxter ends up being that best running back i think he's the guy by the ou game Wow. Bold statement from Mike Craven. That's what it's about. We are uh, not going to cater to the to the timid nor the weak on the Eyes on Texas podcast. He'll be the back by the OU game. Uh, you saw him with your own eyes, and that's C.J. Baxter out of the state of Florida, number one running back in the nation. But you're right on with the uh, the offense. Go back to watching Bijan and Roshan last year. A lot of between the tackles. Uh, and Bijan would just make guys miss in tiny spaces. I mean, his, this is what you – when you, we now see the NFL draft experts making their highlight videos, that's what you're seeing is uh, Bijan making the nifty cuts in the hole that people are swiffing at tackles. You know, that's where you'd have to be able to run, and Roshan would just plow through people, right? He would just get one foot in the ground get upfield. That's a staple here. You don't do a lot of perimeter runs in this offense. You wonder if Sark adjusts that a little bit with some guys that maybe are more perimeter run oriented, even in the bowl game. You know, Go back to the Alamo Bowl with Washington. They tried to feature Keelan Robinson kind of as a tip of the cap to the to the guy, you know, the, the veteran player, but he's not a between-the-tackles runner, and that was pretty clear. Uh, Washington didn't have a run, great run defense, and they were able to stuff it, but it was Jonathan Brooks who got things going, but that was on the perimeter. Yep. Had a screen pass, got to the outside a couple of times, so they're gonna, that's going to be a work in progress. I think that's fair to say, which is why I think, you know, Sark and we would all agree the passing game has to improve because you can't lean on the player who forced the most missed tackles in the country last year in Bijan uh, and the guy in Roshan who had the most yards after contact in the country. <laughs> That's You're, wild. They isn't that crazy? Both, they had both of those guys in the backfield. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that, that, those are, that makes your offensive line feel better, makes your running game look better, and 
and you still went eight and five. So this is the things you have to fix moving forward. I think the good news for Texas fans is that offensive line is going to be better. You know, like whatever you lose in the running back room, the hope is you gain in the offensive line group. Not by adding many more pieces because it's the same faces, but just the experience. Kelvin Banks, no longer a true freshman. Cole Hudson, no longer a true freshman. DJ Campbell, no longer a true freshman. Uh, Christian Jones has like over 40, 40 starts in his career. You know, Jake Majors is inching up close to that number. Um, so you have depth and you have starters there with a lot of consistency, a lot of experience, uh, a lot of talent. Uh, for the first time in a long time, that offensive line feels as talented as it has uh, in over a decade, which I think is a theme for this team, right? Like Every time we start talking about this team, it's like, well, for the first time in over 12 years, for the first time in over this amount of time, it feels like all the pieces are in place offensively. They return 85% of their offensive production from the year, from the, from year before. That 15%, though, is in the running back room, and they're going to have to figure that out because, as Sark mentioned, he's always had a 1,000-yard rusher. He gets the... Uh, stigma or the reputation of being this pass-heavy guy because he's a quarterback and, and wide receivers won the Heisman and the quarterbacks put up so many, so many numbers. But he likes to run the football. He does like to run the football, and they're going to need to figure that out for this offense to be as good as it can be. He can go wherever he's been. Uh, USC is an offensive coordinator. Alabama is an OC. Washington is a head coach. USC is a head coach here. He's going to run the ball. Uh, he's going to pound the rock. Uh, but it, I, I did. he did kind of leave it open that it could be more of a by-committee situation yeah. this year if they need to, which kind of uh, leads to your point that maybe by the Oklahoma game it's a C.J. Baxter situation. i got to get him up with the pass protection and all the uh, the other assignments because Bijan was so good at all of it, and so Roshan was no drop-off uh, at that position. All right, that's going to wrap up our fourth quarter as we have uh, really covered a lot of ground on the offensive side of the ball. promise you on Episode 3 next week uh, we're going to go defensive heavy. Talk about what Mike and uh, we saw out at the practices uh, for the defensive side of the ball. There's depth there, too. Uh, a lot of returning players. And really, I think the defense, more than the offense, has additions. New guys, Jalen Catalan, uh, Gavin Holmes, a, a cornerback who might be the fastest player in the secondary. Uh, there's a lot to like there. So we'll certainly go defensive heavy. And let's hope next week, Mike, we're still talking Texas basketball. Uh, let's get the brass tacks here. We started the first quarter talking Texas hoops. Uh, the two seed in the Midwest region. Uh, are they in your final four, my friend, when it comes down to it? Are you going official Longhorns in Houston? I think they are. I think they are. Just with Houston, if, if Houston's fully healthy, give me the Cougars. That's, Sasser. that's a really, that's a really, if Sasser, if Sasser's healthy, at least by that second weekend, I think Houston has a real chance to be dangerous. Uh, my dream, though, is the Marquette Texas final. That's that's where I'm headed in my final four. Uh, I want to see Shaka versus that team for whatever happens there, whether Texas wins, whether Marquette wins. Uh, I'm a storyline guy. I'm a sports writer by trade. Um, so anything that can give me a narrative to talk about, to write about, I'm all I'm all in for. Well, remember last year, Chris Beard won that game, that first-round game, got it off the back because Shaka hasn't won a a, a March game in 10 years. Yeah. 10 years. But he also has a two-seated team. Let's not yeah. uh, take just won, credit. won a Big East tournament. Just won the you Big know they're East. Playing? A lot of, lot of, we talk about the national pundits picking Texas in the Final Four, a lot like Marquette, too, out of the Big East. Nolan Hogan, our digital producer, doing great with the content. Are you also going to have the burn orange in the Final Four, or you have other? Uh, I got him winning it. Oh, the whole thing, whole thing. Let's Give them go. me. I got them over Alabama, 59, 55, locked it in this morning. Give you one final stat on the Longhorns. Uh, as we were talking about them early on basketball, this is the number. The Longhorns this year, when they've held opponents to 72 points or fewer are 25 and zero, 25 and zero. Their eight losses. The opponent has scored 73 or more points. It is a, I know the offense, the Longhorns, if you look at the Ken Palm rankings, the Longhorns are one of the most efficient offenses in the country. I know Texas fans pull their hair out sometimes about the offense, uh, but they can shoot it. They make free throws. 
They have guard play. They've got bigs. So, again, very efficient offensively. They're going to get their points. Their losses this year have been when the opponent gets loose and puts the game in the mid-70s or into the 80s or, as we said it at the K-State game way back in December when they scored 116. Uh, when they play defense, like we've seen them play down the stretch here, uh, playing, winning three games at the Big 12 tournament, they held Oklahoma State to 47 points. They held TCU, who's one of the best offenses in the Big 12, to 60. And then they held Kansas to 56. They do that. They're going to be, if your final score, Nolan, is, is accurate, they have a real chance because, again, 25-0 and 0 when they hold opponents under 72 or fewer points. That's the number in this tournament. Colgate can't get loose with these three-pointers. Nobody can. Uh, so that's interesting. I will also put them in the Final Four. Okay. I don't know about winning it, Nolan. Yeah. I don't, Texas I, is it plus. Was, it, was Texas a hope, is, wish, it was a hopeful thinking, wishful thinking. Well, they're going to like that they're on plus, the eyes on They're Texas plus 1,500, though. You know, oh, so, they're, hey, you know? they're right. There is no dominant team. Alabama's the one overall seed. Heck, you mentioned the Houston Cougars. I grew up in the city of Houston, and when I was uh, you know, 12, 13, and there was five slam and jam yeah. event. And uh, 1983, the last time the Cougars had a, a first-team All-American, that was Akeem Olajuwon. That came out this week. Marcus Sasser is yep. a first-team All-American, 31-3 and record, the best since 1983 with Akeem the Dream and that team. Uh, there's a lot of people fired up in Houston. And, of course, the Final Four is in Houston. So mm-hmm. uh, I will also put them into the Final Four. Let's just hope we're talking about it next week. I uh, don't want to see the Aggies end this season, and uh, <laughs> that would be some kind of misery for the Texas Longhorns. But that is going to do it for Episode 2 for the Eyes on Texas multicast. And, again, uh, Nolan, fire those things up. Find us on YouTube at Dave Campbell's TF at Dave Campbell's TF, also on the Horn, the flagship station of uh, the Longhorns here in Austin. That's hornfm.com. You can find it on our YouTube page uh, on the Dave Campbell's Texas Football YouTube. Had over 1,000 views for Episode 1. Let's see if we can double that for next week. That would be great. Also, if you're following us on social media, please do. Instagram is at EyesOnTexasPod, EyesOnTexasPod, and Twitter is at EyesOnTexasFB. Eyes on Texas football. So uh, make sure you're following us. Send it to a friend. Retweet some things we do. Want to grow this thing. And, uh, again, the goal for spring is to to build the content. But then, boy, get to the football season, get to camp in August and Big 12 Media Days. This thing will be cranking, and it will be a weekly feature for you. Uh, to your to your podcast library, and we look forward to it. And again, it's a product of the of the Republic of Football on Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network, which is a growing monster uh, in the coverage of te- of Texas we're football. Try- we're trying, we're trying, we're going to get it there. He is Mike Craven. Thank you, Mike. Uh, I'm Aaron Hogan. Uh, we appreciate everybody who's going to watch it. Send it along to a friend. Nolan, thank you. Uh, Griffin Hogan is well in here doing the great work on the editing side of things. Put my kids to work. You know what I'm saying, Mike? And they're doing a great job. Uh, raised a couple of professionals for sure. Uh, and they're doing an awesome job. So appreciate everybody. Again, it's uh, episode two in the books. Hook them, everybody.